Welcome to Empowering Women in Educational Leadership. Over the next hour, we are going to celebrate women across all venues of education and hear stories from trailblazing educators of challenge and success, highlighting that leadership is not always about a title. Now here's your host, Dr. Stephanie Duguid. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Empowering Women in Educational Leadership. I am your host, Dr. Stephanie Duguid. It is such a pleasure to be with you here today, and thank you for tuning in. For those of you listening that do not know me or that are new to the show, I always share a few details about the backstory of the Empowering Women in Educational Leadership show with you. As a lifetime educator myself and with a mother who was a very strong teacher in a Texas high school for over 40 years, I felt it was a natural transition to highlight strong women in educational leadership. So many times, women assume they must have a title to be a leader, which is not true at all. Many women inspire, guide, support, and empower each other. Those women are the transformational leaders that focus on elevating one another through mentorship, whether intentional or not. I wanted to highlight the great things and people supporting women in educational leadership. I've been in education, as I mentioned, for over 30 years at the K-12 and higher education level as a teacher, athletic trainer, and administrator. And I'm now the owner of Do Good Leadership, where I'm a professional speaker, leadership and success coach and mentor, author, consultant, and yes, radio show host. My focus has shifting, shifted from working within an institution to a new focus outward where I can serve, elevate, and inspire women to be amazing leaders in education at all levels. This shows the opportunity to bridge the connection between where a woman in education is and where she wants to be after developing those leadership skills and confidence to become that empowering leader. The key is to find a strong mentor to help you guide, to guide you along the way. My mother was my mentor until she died in a car accident when I was 27. And I've made it my life's purpose to develop, serve, support, and empower women in educational leadership through mentorship. Today is the sixth episode of Empowering Women in Educational Leadership, and I'm honored to have this opportunity to highlight two amazing women today in education. Our amazing guests are Dr. Linda Garcia, the Executive Director of the Center for Community College Student Engagement at the University of Texas at Austin. She never imagined she would one day lead SESI. In fact, she never dreamed of earning a doctorate. She was inspired to rise to the ranks of her favorite journalist when she was young, but along the way, she found some turning points that prepared her to become a community college leader. And today we have a second guest, Dr. Courtney Atkins, who is SESI's Associate Director of Publications. She supervises survey operations, supports general operations, writes for publications, and manages all publication and website content for store, for SESI. She is known as the storyteller. So I want to welcome both Linda and Courtney to the show. Thank you, ladies, for being here. Well, thank you, Stephanie. It is fantastic to be with you. I know Courtney and I are so excited. We just love that you're really lifting up women, empowering them um, just in their journey, um, making sure that they're connected to mentors. I love how you talked about mentorship. That is fantastic. Yes, thank you so much, Stephanie. I mean, what a great uh, radio show that you've launched. Just, We're just so excited to be here to talk about our journeys and to talk about the work we're doing at SESI. Thank you. You are most welcome. And, and today we're really going to be talking about turning points, student engagement, student voices, and purpose and passion. So it's all going to come together. 
So as we get started, Linda, why don't you tell me about your journey? We, we had talked about that in some of our, our pre-sessions. Tell me about the journey that you've gone through to get to where you are today. You know, as a little girl, Stephanie, nobody, or as a little kid, nobody ever thinks I'm going to be a community college leader when I grow up. I've never heard that. In fact, when I was little, I used to watch the movie Annie every single day. And I just wanted to be like, uh, it, it was the actress. And I'm hoping I'm saying her last name correctly, uh, Ranking. Uh, she was uh, kind of the person who really oversaw Annie and her name was Grace. And I, and I thought, you know what? I want to be Grace. I want to look like her. She, I love the way she wears her outfits. And I want to dress like that one day. Well, fast forward, you meet people and they become your mentors. Like you said, in the introduction, stick to those mentors. They provide those turning points for you. And so fast forward, I remember I was working at the University of Texas at Brownsville and Texas Southmost College. That's where I'm from. That's my hometown. And this person comes into my office. His name was Dr. Bapasara Savedo. And he said, have you ever thought about going to graduate school? And I said, yes, I'm enrolled in the master's program right now. And he said, no, he said, I'm talking about the doctoral program. Literally, my jaw dropped. And I'm thinking, what are you talking about? Are you sure you're talking to the right person? Because I never dreamed of getting pursuing a doctoral degree. And I'm thinking, what do you do? What? How do you get into it? What tests do you have to take? I had no idea. Nobody in my family had earned that. Um, first generation in the States, I'm first generation in higher ed as well. But my parents always told me, you have to go to college. My dad was, was always saying, read every Dear Abby article. See every after school special. Like Every single day he put that in front of me because he always said, Linda, you have to stand on your feet as an adult and you need to depend on you. And so I'm going to help you get there. Even though I didn't go to college, we're going to help you get there. Anyways, so fast forward to Dr. Acevedo, I was shocked. And he said, Linda, you have to be at the University of Texas at this time on this day because you're going to meet Dr. John Roosh. And I'm thinking, who is Dr. <sighs> John Roosh? And he didn't even ask me if I could take time off and travel five hours. I mean, I went there for my undergraduate degree, but he just made it happen. Talk about intentional mentoring. Um, so grateful to him. And so I went to meet Dr. Roosh, absolutely changed my life. I learned that Dr. Roosh had prepared the most community college presidents in the nation through his program. Uh, he, he oversaw this program for over 40 years. So anyways, it changed my life. I was able to meet people, be able to be part of a network that he has created for many years. And those people became my turning points. And so along the way, I worked at uh, Lone Star College outside of Houston. I went to uh, uh, in Phoenix at um, um, uh, Maricopa Community Colleges. I worked there as well. And I worked with my mentor along the way at National American University. But because of those turning points, it got me to where I'm at at today and i'm loving the community college field because really it's an opportunity for folks to come learn maybe perhaps learn a skill maybe uh redevelop themselves um just just be better but i love the field because we see so much positive change in the student's life so in a nutshell that is my why i got to where i'm at well, and you mentioned Dr. Roosh. And so for anybody listening that is not familiar with Dr. Roosh, I encourage you to look him up because he is a legend in the community college setting and is so involved even still. So make sure that you look up Dr. Roosh and you talk about those turning points. So you said that you had somebody that just happened to come in and, and that's one of the biggest things. It's nothing that was planned. 
it's something that just came about on your journey to get here. So that's, that's just an amazing story. I love that. Yeah. And it's about mentoring, just tapping you, the mentor tapping you on your shoulder. Hey, have you considered X, Y, and Z? No, you need to think about it. In fact, when I did a book with uh, Martha Ellis and we interviewed uh, Generation X presidents, we asked them, how did you get to where you're at? And they said, because someone tapped me on the shoulder. Someone said, you're a rock star when you felt like you weren't that person. So as you said in the beginning, Stephanie, mentorship is so absolutely important. And we'll continue to talk about mentorship, but I want to give Courtney a chance to share her journey as she came to where she is today. Yeah, thank you, Stephanie. Happy to do so. So I, I, I come from a long line of educators. Um, my mom was a teacher. My dad was a teacher. And then he went on to work in higher ed. I have two aunts who are teachers an uncle who's a teacher. So teaching was sort of my lifeblood. You know? <laughs> I think it was undeniable I was going to be a teacher at some point. Um, and so, I, you know, I went to college and I got a degree in education and then I got a master's degree. And then um, when I student taught in the high school, I thought, wow, I'm really enjoying this, but I think I want to go on. I loved school so much. I want to go on and continue, continue my higher ed journey. And so I decided to get a PhD in English literature. And so while I was working on my PhD at the University of Louisiana at Lafayette, I needed a part-time job. <laughs> and I got an opportunity to be an adjunct faculty member at South Louisiana Community College there in Lafayette. And at that time, the community college system in Louisiana was fairly new, and I wasn't really familiar with the community college system then. Um, but as soon as I stepped on that campus and into the first classroom, in the first class that I taught there, I just fell in love with it. I love the intimate class size, the students, the mission, you know, because I was kind of working on this PhD in the liberal arts field where you know, for most people, the goal is to go and, and be a professor, right, at a four-year college or university, and there's all this pressure to publish, you know, the publisher perish, you know, to get tenure, to be on the tenure track. And I thought, wow, this community college, the focus is not on that at all. It's all about helping these students be successful. And I think that was the first big turning point for me, because I thought, this is what I want to do. I know this is what I want to do. And so when I graduated with my with my doctorate, I moved to Baton Rouge and I got a full-time job teaching at Baton Rouge Community College. I was there for a few years and then personal circumstances brought me to Austin and I found the job at SESI. And I, I felt so fortunate because I think it really married my research interest and my interest and my passion for the community college world. And, and also just so lucky that, you know, I found this place to work that was led by Dr. Kay McClinney, who is also kind of an icon in the field of community colleges. And she's the founder of SESI, um, you know, and has just really helped so many uh, college professionals and community college students uh, find success. And so, I, you know, I, I worked for her for many years. And then we had another female leader, Dr. Evelyn Yyoli, who now is at Temple College in Texas. Um, she was the second executive director, and now I have the great good fortune of of working with Linda as our current executive director. So I've really feel like I've been mentored by these three incredible women in higher education. Um, and and you know when I started working at SESI, it was twenty years ago next week. So I've I've kind of seen the organization through through a lot of different uh, changes, and just just feel so grateful to still be there. 
What you mentioned, the differences with community colleges versus universities. And I think that a lot of people don't realize that, that the focus of the community college, the mission of the community college is to serve the student where they are in their own community. And so, as you mentioned, those intimate classes, you know, you get to know your students, your students get to know you, and they feel like they have a connection with you. And that's what it's all about as you go through your life is building those connections. And I love that you mentioned that the Center for Community College Student Engagement, the 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 acronym or not the acronym, but the focus is insight that matters. And for, you know, for someone to have that foresight to create this organization so you can really listen to students. So tell me about student engagement. What does that mean with SESI? Well, you know, um, I like to always start off with a story on explaining why student engagement matters. And so I'll do that right here. Um, Some time ago, SESI interviewed a student three times in one semester. And he was a brand new student fall term. The very first month, the student says, you know, he's excited about college and you see it in his face. You see the smile and he's confident. He's you know, sitting up straight. One month later after that, in that same semester, doubt starts setting in. He says school's kind of challenging, but he's going to stick through it. One month later after that, in that same semester, at the end of the semester, his tune has changed. The words, even the way he communicates, he just says school's not for everyone. I guess I'm one of those. So what happened to the student in that same semester in those months where he was absolutely excited to now he's saying he's no longer like part of it. In fact, when Ceci went back to continue the conversation with the, with the students, including him, he was no longer there. And so we think at SESI, we need to help community college leaders help students such as those who do not pursue, continue um, to the next semester. Because students come with aspirations and goals and dreams. They do not come to fail, but they come to be successful. And so along their journey, there are some challenges that some students are more likely to experience than others. So how do we get them from the start line to the finish line? And so that's where SESI comes in. SESI has looked at uh, research. uh, It's grounded by research on how we define student engagement, such as are are there interactions with faculty and students? What, What does that look like? Is there student effort? Is there active and collaborative learning going on and others? So there's many components that we look at. And so we guide colleges to really drill down in those components to see if that's occurring in the student experience. Because if it's not, then it really guides community colleges to think strategically on what the initiatives they may have to uh, uh, put into place or how they have to make activities intentional. For instance, let's say advising. And Courtney is really good about talking about advising. She did some publications on this and and she can chime in as well. But what we know is that when students are not participating in advising and they don't have a plan, they're less likely to move forward and to pursue and uh, to, to go through each term. Yeah, absolutely right, Linda, particularly with advising, you know, as Linda said, we released a report a couple of years ago and and we found with that study 
that you know the students who who saw advisors more often who spent longer amounts of time with the advisors when they saw them and talked about what their plans for were definitely more likely to persist um, so so important well and i think that what a lot of people don't realize is when you are a leader in a community college sometimes you're dealing with all the administrative stuff that you almost forget to really look at your students. I mean, the students are the reason that you're there and you get so caught up in all the other things that you forget to really evaluate those students. And because some people are on a campus with the student body, they automatically think they know exactly what's going on. And I am such a supporter of going outside and finding an organization, something like SESI, that might be able to help me figure out what kind of engagement our students really have. It's almost that they're scared. They don't want the real answers because they might be doing something wrong. But I think it is so important that you figure out what's going on with students. Are they engaged or not? How is your advising process? What kind of activities do you have them involved with? And I love the story about the one student within one semester. I mean, sometimes you have students that come for that orientation and they're so excited. And even at the first week, they just want to go home. And you have to wonder why some people, again, just brush it off that this is not for them. But, you know, most times it is something that the college could have done to save that student. So very briefly, give me one more feature about student engagement. So what is one other point that you want to say about student engagement before we go off to break? Yeah, so I would just say, Stephanie, you know, and I think Linda touched on this, that this really is grounded in research. And the research shows that student learning, persistence, and attainment are all highly correlated with student engagement. So as Linda touched on, I mean, the more engaged students are with their academic work, what they're doing in the classroom, their peers, their instructions, their advisors, the more likely they are to stick around and find success. I love that. Well, let's go ahead and take a break. When we come back, we'll talk about student voices back in two minutes. Follow Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. Meet Dr. Stephanie Duguid, the renowned motivational speaker, leadership and success coach, author, and radio show host with an impressive 30 years of experience in education, spanning K-12 and higher education as a teacher, athletic trainer, and administrator. With her dynamic presence and inspiring messages, Dr. Stephanie captivates audiences from classrooms to conference halls. Learn how to focus on developing positive leadership skills and confidence to become the transformative and inspirational leader you always wanted to be from any position you hold. Reach out to Dr. Stephanie today. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. When there is a war on talent, you have to go to combat. What is career combat? 
It's a show that airs at 7 a.m. Pacific Time on Fridays on the Voice America Empowerment Channel that acts as your destination for real career talk and real career advice. Hear from the best and brightest in the biz as your host, Kelly Combat, gives you the answers you need. Career Combat, Fridays at 7 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Empowerment. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Welcome back to Empowering Women in Educational Leadership. Have a question for Dr. Stephanie or her guests? Join us on the show at 888-346-9141. That's 888-346-9141. Now back to the show. Welcome back. We are here today with Dr. Linda Garcia and Dr. Courtney Atkins from the Center of Community College Student Engagement, otherwise known as SESI. And so we were talking about the importance of engagement, how it's all based on research, but also about student voice. So Courtney, can you share a little bit more information about why is student voice so important? Yes, absolutely, Stephanie. You know, I I think it's easy to talk about higher education in terms of numbers, Things like, you know, where is this college ranked according to U.S. News and World Report or how much is the tuition at this school or or what is the graduation rate at this college, et cetera. But the ethos of SESI has always been to bring the student into the conversation and to put the student right in the middle of any room, no matter who's in that room. And, you know, the reason for that is is because when we do that, the story of the student and the student voice can't be ignored. Um, and so when we tell stories, when we release our data through publications, we try to frame all of those stories around the impact on community college students and their success. I mean, we're a survey research center, but, but as Linda mentioned earlier, we also um, conduct focus groups because the importance of, of actually hearing a student speak or reading a student quote Um, in framing a story can't be denied. And just, I'll I'll give you an example of that. We're working on a report right now at SESI and it's on transfer. So vertical student transfer, students transferring from the community college to the four-year college or university. And we're starting the report with a student quote. And this report comes out next month. So this is a little bit of preview, but what that student quote says, and this is from a focus group that we conducted is it says, I'm coming back to college because I'm tired of being poor. And that's how we start the report. And that's pretty impactful, you know, first sentence to read. But I think it really sets the stage for how important successful transfer is. Because an associate degree will, you know, leverage a student up a certain level from a high school diploma, right? But if a student can then transfer and obtain a bachelor's degree, the world opens up a little bit more for that student. Um, And so what we really try to do is share the student voice so college leaders and faculty and staff can not only see the the importance of what students are saying, but connect it to the numbers, right, to the data. Um, And so what we do when when we tell these stories is we say, okay, here's what the students are saying through the numbers, through the data. And if we're able to connect that, you know, even further with the student video or with the student quote, I think it just becomes more impactful. 
Um, but but it's just we just can't not talk about the student voice. It's it's why we all do what we do. Well, you're right. And so talking about bringing the student into the conversation, that is such a powerful statement. You know, in Mississippi years ago, we had a program called Student Voices, but it was meant to take students from the campuses to our legislature so that they could share their own stories to help them say, oh, we understand now that you need some more resources and funding to support these students to be successful. So we did that for a few years. And of course, COVID stopped that, but it was really successful at the at the time. And then when you said we always are leaning towards the data, but if you can humanize it Mm -hmm. and add that student's story, my goodness, what an impactful measurement that could be. Yeah, absolutely. So you talk about student voices and you talk about student engagement. So what are some of the strategies that have helped students flourish at community college that Ceci has been involved in or that they have seen? Oh, Stephanie, I absolutely love this question because students have told us what matters to them. In fact, when we celebrated Ceci's uh, 20th anniversary a year ago, we asked ourselves, what has Ceci learned? What have students said through those years? In fact, we leaned a lot with Courtney because Courtney was there since the beginning. And so now we're here 21 years later. So let me just share some of those strategies that what students uh, uh, shared. And I like to use the word designer. I use the word designer because students are relying on community college leaders, faculty, staff, every single employee, even to the groundskeeper to get them to the finish line. So folks who are employed by the community college, I say they are designers and they're why they're designers because each letter in the word designer stands for a theme that matters to the student experience of what students have told us. Let me go quickly through those letters. D is having a direction. Having a plan absolutely matters to students. Students talk about when they have a plan, they have a GPS, it's clear as crystal how long it's going to take to get them to the finish line. They know what courses to take. It is set. But there are students who say, when I don't have a plan, I don't know what courses to take. I don't know how long it's going to take me. I think I need to talk to an advisor. It becomes very cloudy. So when they don't have that map, how do we expect them to move forward? So having a plan matters, direction. The next letter, E, expectations. Students, There's students that have been held to high expectations. There's others that have not been held to high expectations. There was this one student who said, when I came into the class, my instructor said, you're starting off with an A. You better keep that A. He said, I've never been told I was an A student. So now when I go to every one of my, all of my classes, I'm thinking I'm an A student. So his mindset shifted. Having high expectations matter. And that's what students said. S, the next letter, student support services matter. Students talk about going to college every single day is like walking a tightrope. Think about that, a tightrope. That's not easy. You got to balance that. It's easy to fall. In fact, there was a student who said, when I know about the support services, I think of that as a safety net. If I fall, I I know I will be caught. And student support services are such as uh, advising, tutoring, it could be peer tutoring, skills lab, uh, support for, you know, your child. So many things absolutely matter. Um, The next letter, I, intentionality. How do we become intentional in the way we teach our courses? Meaning students are asking Things that I am um, participating outside of the classroom, can the instructor be more aware of that? Or maybe what I'm watching or what I'm reading, getting to know us as a person and bringing that into the classroom. Intentionality. 
or what about intentionality connecting the course to tutoring, being intentional to making sure students are connected, maybe walking them to the tutoring center because students will say, I know I need tutoring, but I'm not going to go to tutoring because it shows that I'm weak. But when I go home, I wish I went. Intentionality matters. The next letter, G. We're saying guessing no more. When you think about the brand new entering student in the fall term, they're inundated with so much information. Think about all this going back to student support services, their resources. Uh, they're thinking, okay, I don't know. I, I, I was given so much information. I can't remember that. And then I forget. I don't know what's offered. We should not have them guessing what's out there for them, the resources. We need to make it inescapable. We need to put the, put the information in front of them at all times. For example, we're out in the field. We will have advisors and faculty tell us that they work together and we'll say, how do you work together? Well, because there's so much support services, we'll put it in it. We'll create an advising syllabus and we ask the instructor to add it to their own. Inescapable. Put in the learning uh, course management system, all that information. The next letter N in the word designer. We say, hey, not optional. And that really goes back to our first executive director that Courtney talked about, Kay McClenney. Do not make things optional. Students don't do optional. One of the most uh, services that we we offer to community college students that is really the most optional is orientation. Orientation absolutely matters to students. In fact, students will tell us, I really don't want to go. But when I go, I understand the value, the importance. I'm oriented to what's what the college offers. I know where things are located. So orientation is absolutely important. The, the second to the last letter, E, equity. Equity matters to students. And equity can be looked at through many lenses. But for this example, I want to talk about uh, insecurities with food and housing. And so students talked about that. We did a study about that. Uh, students who were the most insecure with food and housing were absolutely the most engaged. So think about how much more successful they could be if they had those supports. If equity was really looked at and we customized the supports, especially for them. I mean, we had students who said, if I only eat on the days I have class because I want to make sure that I pay attention. Mm -hmm. If I don't have class, I am hungry. I'm intentional about when I eat. Um, the last letter in the word designer is relationships. If I can put a thread, Stephanie, through every single theme and just make sure that it's all connected and combined, relationships is that thread that connects it. Because students say, I want someone to know my story. I don't want to keep on telling my story to every single person, but if there is one person knows my name, knows my challenges, my struggles, they're more likely to connect me to resources because that may, that makes me feel like I matter. So I really focus on strategies as, as the word designer, because we are all designers in the student experience to get the student from the start line to the finish line. But you mentioned so many amazing concepts in that one acronym for designer. But one of the things that really stood out was guess no more. You know, in the community college or even in education itself, if we work there and we live there, then we know the language. We understand what's going on. So guess no more. It could be learning how to be the translator for that student so that they understand the language of education. And then also they don't know what they don't know. So don't assume that they know. <laughs> There's exactly. a lot of that statement. 
No, exactly. And especially in your first generation, Stephanie, mm-hmm. Courtney and I talk about all this. How do we expect them to know the lingo, the path? I was first generation. I mean, there's so many others. We, we don't know. Um, so making sure that we don't assume that they know. Right. In fact, um, one of the students we interviewed, uh, which is similar to the story that I mentioned about how we interviewed the student three times in one semester, mm-hmm. fast forward to about a year ago, we found a similar student. And the only difference is that we were able to find him after he withdrew. And he talks about, I, he, t- he t- talks about what he wished the college did for him. And he said, I wish the college reached out to me. I want to apologize to the faculty. I wasted their time. Mm. You know, so relationships absolutely matter. Think about that student. Uh, They, again, they come to be successful. But there's some hurdles that students have to jump through. They do. Yes. And so you talk about not optional and equity. So not optional. To me, when something is optional, it means that the instructor, to me, is not valuing that assignment. If it's, oh, you can do it if you want. So it's, it's of no value. So why would the student do it? You know, so I love that you said it's not optional. Make sure that you show up, that you're intentional with everything that you do and, and focus. Yeah. And absolutely advising. Um, yes. You know, through our research, uh, we know there's more students um, interacting with advisors through the national conversation with guided pathways. We see that increasing, but we're not to the point where all students are being advised. So advising is another optional uh, resource support service that we provide. And really advising should be mandatory, mandatory. because it's the it, it's the GPS. A lot of conversations happen at that time. Um, even Courtney has explored this, the types of conversations that should be occurring in advising. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, Linda. Just to, to piggyback on that, you know, mm-hmm. the study that Linda was just talking about where we were able to interview the student after he withdrew, you know, in that same study, we interviewed students over over four time periods, so three times in the fall semester and then once in the spring to kind of say, okay, what helps you stay, right? And these were first time in college students. And we talked a lot about advising with them. And so, you know, we would talk to one student and the student would say, yes, I've already met with my advisor four times. I know exactly what I'm doing. I know how long it's gonna take. You know, I know, I know where I'm going. I'm all set. I'm excited. You know, he used the word excited, this particular student. So going to what Linda said about having a plan and a direction. But then we talked to another student and this student said, no, I don't really know what classes I'm supposed to take next semester. Nobody's really talked to me about that. And, you know, and this particular student also said, no, maybe that's my fault. Maybe I should have, you know, I should have found somebody to talk to. But, but I think it's really the, the onus is on us, right? Like you said, Stephanie, we have to make sure the students understand what's happening because they don't know what they don't know. Um, and so, you know, somebody should be reaching out to that student and saying, hey, have you seen an advisor? And, you know, and, and if advising is mandatory, then the student would have seen an advisor and she probably would have a better feeling about what was, what was going to happen the next semester and what she should be doing to stay on her path. Well, what we found, though, is that advising is essential. It can affect graduation rate. It can affect persistence. It can affect so many things. Linda? Yeah. So think about conversations that 
are, are are being had between the student and the advisor and what should be happening, what types of conversations. So we're finding out students are talking about, okay, maybe what courses to take. But we find that when students uh, have conversations such as when they're asked, are you working full time? Do you have dependents? Do you have access to food? Do you have challenges with transportation? Getting to know them on a personal level at the very first advising or maybe the very first session with the faculty asking those questions, looking at the student holistically, absolutely matters to students because if we can identify the challenges that they're going to experience or they're currently experiencing early on and we can connect them to resources right away, they're more likely to persist. In fact, there's some community colleges that have a checklist, uh, an intake process of how how they do that. Um, I'm thinking one, um, a a college that advisor, each advisor has a checklist on what they have to ask. This is the type of conversation we're going to have. It's not like we're going to have some conversations with these students and some are not going to have it. No, they train their advisors to have those. And so even though we have to be supportive of students, we also have to provide support to our faculty and advisors and guide them on how to have those conversations, those critical conversations um, to help students be successful. I love that. The critical conversations and so many people equate advising to schedule making. And it's not. It is so much more than that. So you're right. Training the advisors, training the institution, it's really changing that culture of what advising is. At my former institution where I was, uh, we did change advisement. We looked at graduation rate and persistence, as I mentioned, and we realized that so many were doing that general major. Well, general doesn't really have a pathway. So we forced everybody to pick a major. They couldn't choose general. And so even if they didn't put a major, we put them in biology, because if you don't want to do biology, you're definitely going to go talk to somebody. (laughs) So we made them all, we made them all pick a major and then they had to, they were not allowed to register for classes until they met with their advisor. You couldn't release the hold until you did that. So those were some of the things that we did. And then lastly, before we go to break here in about a minute, you were talking about equity and insecurities. And I think that that is so important to focus on, because if you think of Maslow's hierarchy, for those of you that have been in education for a long time, if you don't have that safety and security, if you don't have your foundation, you don't know where your next meal is going to come. You don't know where you're going to sleep that night. Students are not going to be engaged in the classroom. So you have to get to know your student in order to go to that next level. So we are going to go ahead to break. We were talking about student engagement and advising. When we come back, we're going to talk about other exciting initiatives Ceci is exploring and then what is coming in the next year. We'll be back in two minutes. Voice America is on LinkedIn. Connect with us today. Meet Dr. Stephanie Duguid, the renowned motivational speaker, leadership and success coach, author, and radio show host with an impressive 30 years of experience in education, spanning K-12 and higher education as a teacher, athletic trainer, and administrator. With her dynamic presence and inspiring messages, Dr. Stephanie captivates audiences from classrooms to conference halls. Learn how to focus on developing positive leadership skills and confidence to become the transformative and inspirational leader you always wanted to be from any position you hold. Reach out to Dr. Stephanie today. 
Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Life can be confusing at times. There can be uncertainty, disappointment, and an inability to clearly see where you're headed. But it doesn't have to be this way at all if you understand how to take the next step in your life. Tune in to Living the Miracle with your hosts, Michael and Raphael Tamora. We'll help you to find the deeper meaning that awaits you in your life, have certainty in yourself, and learn to be clairvoyant. Listen Wednesdays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Empowerment. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Welcome back to Empowering Women in Educational Leadership. Have a question for Dr. Stephanie or her guests? Join us on the show at 888-346-9141. That's 888-346-9141. Now back to the show. And we are back with Dr. Linda Garcia and Dr. Courtney Atkins from SESI talking all about students, engagement, and everything in between. So we just finished talking about how important advisement is in the process and some other ways to engage students and things that they're asking for. So through SESI, are there other exciting initiatives that you're exploring currently or anything upcoming that you'd like to share? So one of the exciting initiatives that we are absolutely proud of is a project on dual enrollment. In fact, we are piloting a survey titled DESI, and it stands for the Dual Enrollment Survey for Student Engagement. Let me tell you how this got started. So years back, we've been talking about how do we capture the experience of these students because the experience is absolutely different. They're taking these college courses, whether it's at the high school, whether it's virtual, or they're coming to the community college to take these courses, different experiences. Think about the students who just take it at the high school and maybe the support services, they're not connected at the college. Or if they take it at the college, some are taking it with older students. That's called concurrent enrollment uh, some places. And think about just uh, the levels of experiences. So it looks very different. So community college leaders have been asking, can you help us understand this population? Because it is growing. We have colleges that maybe 50 to 60% of their enrollment is dual enrollment. We have some as low as maybe 20, 25. It varies, but all we know it is growing. So fast forward, we had a conversation with a foundation and uh, we said, this might be something to explore. And this was the Gates Foundation. And so we were going back and forth and we decided to partner to create a survey for the to the field for community colleges. And so we created an advisory team to help us create this survey, thought leaders, some community college leaders. And so we spent some time identifying which items, survey items, survey questions we need to ask these students. And so as of today, we're in the middle of our pilot. We have 17 colleges participating within about 10 states. And we're kind of learning quite a bit from the preliminary data. We're learning that um, 51% of these students who responded to our survey 
have never interacted with an advisor counselor from the college. So there is a gap there because community college leaders are concerned about when those students graduate, most of them are not continuing at the community college. Where are they going? And why aren't they coming? And why aren't they staying? So we're finding that there is a gap to create relationships, deeper relationships between the student and the community college, because those students are saying most of their interaction, their information is coming from the high school. So what if we did better that making sure that they're connected to the advisor at the community college, there's communication, there's an opportunity there because our data, they're really about conversation starters. We don't say we're in the business of surveys, we're in the business of conversation starter. That is a conversation starter in itself. Another thing that we've learned is students of color, first generation students are more likely to have aspirations of earning an associate degree. When we look at other counterparts, they're saying, no, we're thinking about a bachelor's degree. That's a conversation starter too. How do we get students of color to start thinking about beyond the associate degree? How do we start having conversations about introducing transfer to them, even though that may be too far for them or uh, uh, too much in the future, but how do we plant that seed and water it? So we're very excited about this dual enrollment because we feel like it's gonna provide a lot of uh, data back to the field on how we can make sure that these students feel supported and the way they take dual enrollment, whether it's online at the high school or at the college, but making sure that they are connected. Because again, it goes back to that, that theme that I talked about, relationships. Relationships absolutely matter to all students. So that's well, one that we're excited about. Well, and that is so true with dual enrollment is that it's not going anywhere. You know, people assume, oh, dual enrollment, we don't have to worry about it. It, it is not going anywhere. So we need to embrace it. We need to strengthen it as much as we can. And like you said, those relationships, the college typically has a relationship with a counselor at a high school. You know, sometimes they can get to those students, but it's really bridging that gap, as you mentioned, and that can be difficult to do. So it takes partnerships on both sides, not just one direction or the other. And, and Stephanie and Linda, I would just add to what Linda said, some kind of good news that we learned from the survey. And that was, you know, we asked students about what was happening in the classroom and how confident they were and excited they were to be there and things like that. The students are absolutely excited to be taking college level classes. There is no doubt about it. They're excited about earning college credit. They're excited about saving money. <laughs> you know, it's, it's a big deal for them. Um, but we looked at kind of the same types of engagement items that we ask on our SESI survey and our entering college student survey to the dually enrolled high school students, and they're having those engaging interactions in the classroom. And so that's great. You know, I think if we can just kind of bolster that other piece that Linda was talking about, then, you know, um, they would be on their way to being even more successful. Um, and I think the one last connection, yes, it is about engagement, but what we found is we really needed to help guide those students to make sure they took the right classes, college credit. So that would be the next step that I would really encourage students, talk to your parents, talk to an advisor at the college, make sure you understand what your major is, because yes, you're saving time and money only if you take the right classes. <laughs> That's right. Absolutely correct. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and Stephanie, you asked about, you know, other upcoming areas of exploration, yes. other things that we're kind of working on. So I'd be happy to, to share a couple of those. 
And um, one of these kind of kind of goes back a couple of years, you know, when we were working on that project that I was talking about, where we interviewed students several times over the course of one semester, these were entering college students, first time in college students. Although we didn't really ask specifically about this, a theme kept popping up and it was mental health and well-being. And we also ran a couple of surveys during sort of the height of the pandemic just to help colleges assess how students were doing and how they were coping. And so this came up then too, you know, that students are really struggling in terms of their mental health and well-being. Um, and I think a lot of that was exacerbated, of course, by the pandemic um, and everything that went along with that. But what we decided to do was to create an item set on mental health and well-being so that we could do a broad national survey of community college students and learn how they were doing. So just this past spring, we surveyed um, all of the students at the colleges that participated in SESI, so about 200 colleges. Um, and, and, you know, I've seen the, we haven't released a national report on this, that'll be coming next fall. But just looking at the initial data on it, I would say it's very compelling, but I would also say it's alarming. And so students are struggling. Um, and this fall, we're asking the same items of our entering students. So to find out how they're doing. And one of our good colleagues is currently conducting focus groups or interviews with students at three colleges. Um, so we can get those real life stories from students. But we know the conversation about mental health has really come to a forefront. I think that's one thing that COVID has helped us with. And so there's there's so many conversations about that. Linda? Yeah, so just one data point, one nugget to share with you in our spring data that we found, 30% uh, of our community college responders said they would not know where to go if they needed professional help for their mental or emotional health while attending college. 30%. So think about how we, it's so critical to, to have these conversations with students, to know the student holistically, but to connect them to resources, make it inescapable um, because students are saying, I just don't know where to go if I needed it. That's right. And we know that anxiety increased with students as well as in teachers <laughs> over COVID. And in fact, that number has not gone down statistically even with COVID being gone and the return to the classroom. So we know that students are already anxious and think about all that is expected of them. Years and years ago, when probably we all went to school, you were able to focus on school for the most part. You didn't have to take care of your family and you didn't have to take care of bringing in some sort of you know, money for the family or whatever it was. There are so many things that these students are involved in these days that attributes to that mental health and well-being challenge. So I'm so glad that you all are reviewing that. Yeah, absolutely. And, and another project that's semi-related to the mental health and well-being project that we're just now embarking on is our culture of caring initiative. Um, you know, and 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 so what we're doing is we're again adding some items to our survey. We'll conduct some focus groups, and this will happen next spring and next fall. But we're going to ask students questions, kind of in the areas of sense of belonging, self-efficacy, stigma, um, student basic needs, which we've covered before, but it's so important. It still needs to be covered. The conversation needs to be ongoing, and mental health and well-being. Um, and, you know, I think we really look to Amarillo College as kind of a, 
you know, the, the college that is doing so much good work in this area of culture of caring. And so we just had a speaker from Amarillo College come and speak to a group of colleges that we're working with and our staff and, and talk about what they're doing. So I think it'll be great to get some national data into the field some, so some other colleges can get involved in this work. There, there's so many great things going on. And so I encourage anybody because culture of care is actually on the face of your website to go to cccse.org to grab more information. So as we're winding down for today, can you share your passion and purpose in doing this work? Just briefly, each of you, what is your passion and purpose in doing this work? You know, my passion is really getting students to the finish line. I think about my experience being first generation. And I think about the very first turning point that I experienced, well, that happened in my life that before I was born was my grandparents uh, coming to the United States for better opportunities. And I think about students are coming to community college because for better opportunities. And so I just want to be part of that. I want to make sure students uh, have a plan to get there. And so that's why I do the work that I do. And I love the work that I do. It's all about helping these students to be successful. Love that. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree more, Linda. You know, when I think about when I taught at the, in the community college and students would have a light bulb moment, and it was so fulfilling, you know, I was so happy for them. And But similarly, I think if we can arm colleges with information, if we can give them data that will create that aha moment, as Linda says, um, to help them help their students be more successful, there's really no more important work. I mean, the students community colleges are serving, they're older, they work. They have children that some of them are financially insecure. Some of them need academic support. Um, the first in their family to go to college. This is really most of America, though, isn't it? That's right. So if we can help these students be more successful, what impact might that have on our country? Um, so, right. yeah, that, that's what it's all about for me. So very briefly, we have about a minute. What would be some words of encouragement? If one of you just want to share a couple words of encouragement for those listening. I think be the turning point for these students. Be the designer in their life. Perfect. Making sure they get to the end. And if somebody wants to reach you, cccse.org, correct? That was the SESI website. So cccse.org. I would love to thank Dr. Linda Garcia and Dr. Courtney Atkins from SESI for joining us today for this wonderful conversation about the importance of student engagement with the higher education journey. So for those of you listening, we are out of time, but please make sure that you share all this information with those that are around you so that they too can be successful. So I would love for you to join my Facebook community for women in education and reach out if you would like a free consultation. You can visit thevoiceamerica.com webpage, the Empowerment Channel, to reach me. If you are looking to... uh, empower yourself and embrace mentorship, I encourage you to reach out. Or if you're looking for a speaker at your next event about empowering women in educational leadership, I would love to be there for you. We are out of time. And coming next week, we will have Dr. Leanne Nutt, who is president of Lone Star College Tomball in Texas. Be sure to tune in again next Wednesday at 10 a.m. Central Standard Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel Network. Thank you for joining us today. See you next time. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Empowering Women in Educational Leadership. We hope you'll join us next week for another inspiring episode 